0: You Alabama fans, the Florida fans, you're all fired up. Tennessee fans, you know the story. Sorry about that. You just need a little encouragement this morning. We want you UT fans to know we're just here for you. Just here to encourage you. And uh, there are some of you who feel like a UT fan this morning. Things aren't going so well for you. I got some really good news. Uh, Turn in Galatians chapter 1 and you'll see it. So, good news of the gospel. changes lives. And uh, when something this good comes along, you can expect that the devil is going to oppose it. He's going to try to take it away from you. He's going to try to diminish its value to you. He does not like it when you have a good time or when you are uh, feeling free or happy or purposeful in your life. So he's here to steal to kill, to destroy, as Jesus said. But Jesus came to give us life and give it to the full. And this life that we experience has two secrets to enjoying this life. One is the power of the Holy Spirit that we're going to deal with at the end of Galatians. This life comes from the life-giving Spirit, and it's really by walking in the Spirit that we know this life. But the other secret has to do with our acceptance with God and our belonging to Him and knowing it. And the secret of knowing that is the main message of the gospel that Paul is defending in Galatians. And it's the main aspect of the gospel that's under attack by some teachers, Judaizers in Galatia. So if you want to hang on to what you've got, you're going to have to fight for it because you're going to have all kinds of things that come along to try to convince you otherwise. And we've seen that these attacks can come in several ways. They can be uh, folks who take the Bible and distort it and interpret it wrongly. And it can be by folks who say the Bible isn't God's Word in the first place. Why are you even studying it? Why are you giving your attention to it? And these attacks are the same fundamental attacks that go on today and that went on 2,000 years ago. I mean, Satan has you know, been pulling his weapons out of his bag for a long time, and all you get are just, you know, it's the same, same tool, uh, just an updated version of it. And you'll see that in Paul's day, you have the same sort of attacks. Uh, some uh, 10 years ago, I just pulled an article out of the Commercial Appeal about the Bible, and it was talking about how the Bible's still the bestseller and Bible sales are booming, but people basically don't know their Bibles. And uh, said here, this was 10 years ago, that two-thirds of Americans don't regularly read the Bible or know the names of the four Gospels. More than half of Americans surveyed can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. And the majority say they find the good book irrelevant. And then there was a, a woman who... Uh, was raised as a Lutheran, uh, and she is quoted as saying she's turned off by the Bible because of things like the emphasis on humankind's sinful nature, and what she regards as the horrendously paternalistic God of the Old Testament. It builds a spirituality on the basis of badness, and it's no place to start, she said. She gains her spiritual sustenance instead from the writings of Lao Tzu, Confucius, and D.T. Suzuki. I'm going to check into those people. Uh, <laughs> Eastern religion deals with harmony, balance, and enlightenment, and so on. just have lots of opinions out there. And, uh, and the devil will use those opinions to try to undermine your confidence in the Bible and its main message by which you're going to have freedom and joy and life, and that is that your sins are forgiven. God has given you a perfect record that makes you acceptable before His holy throne of righteousness in heaven, and He has adopted you as his own sons so that you have a full inheritance. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Now, that's the, that's the blessing of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ that Paul's defending. And uh, you'll, you'll have all kinds of things that will try to take that away from you. And Paul is confronting that in Galatians chapter 1. And here's how the attack is going. The Judaizers are saying, you know we got our message from Jerusalem uh, from the apostles. Uh, It's been handed over to us. We know what we're talking about. This guy Paul, he went to Jerusalem, got the download from those guys, and then came out here and distorted it. Now that's that's what they were saying about Paul's message. It was a little weird distortion of what the apostles in Jerusalem were actually saying. Now we're going to see that Paul, when we read the text, and really he begins an autobiographical section here that goes from one eleven, all the way through 2.14. And uh, uh, we're going to look at the first part of that today. And what Paul is saying is, look, I didn't get my message from the guys in Jerusalem, first of all. But secondly, after I got my message from the Lord Himself, I went to Jerusalem eventually and checked off for those guys and we're all on the same sheet. I didn't get it from them. They didn't teach it to me. I got it straight from the Lord. But we are in, I am in harmony with the other guys who know the gospel I was preaching and who were fine with my going to the Gentiles to preach it. So Paul is in the midst of defending the origin of his gospel, where it came from, against these Judaizers. And not so much against the Judaizers. It's against those in the church that were believing the Judaizers. He's really fussing with us, not with the Judaizers. Why are you believing those guys? They're taking you to a message that's just going to enchain you. And why, as he says in Galatians 3, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? And uh, he's he's speaking to the church. Why would you let somebody talk you out of this precious gospel, which alone is able to set you free and give you life? So now that's, that's the context of it. Now let's pick up with... Verse 11, and let's read through the end of chapter 1 and take from this what Paul is seeking to convey that we too might have life coming from the gospel. This is chapter 1, verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, "'was pleased to reveal His Son in me "'so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. "'I did not consult any man, "'nor did I go up to Jerusalem "'to see those who were apostles before I was. "'But I went immediately into Arabia "'and later returned to Damascus. "'Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem "'to get acquainted with Peter "'and stayed with him fifteen days. "'I saw none of the other apostles, "'only James, the Lord's brother.' I assure you before God that what I am writing is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Okay, the first thing Paul is clearly saying in verses 11 and 12 is that our gospel comes from God. He wants to say to us uh, something about the gospel he is preaching. He says, I want you to know, and I guess an English translation of that would be, let me be perfectly clear. Whenever he uses that phrase, he's getting ready to tell us something very important, and this is very important. And he says, I want you to know something about this gospel. Uh, It is not by human invention, A. It is not something man made up. And folks, religions are made up. All over the world, there are made up religions. Now, they are considered in high esteem because they're old. Uh, Some of them go back a long, long time. Uh, the Hindus claim that theirs go, goes back even before the time of Christ. I kind of doubt it. I think it came uh, after Christ, actually. But most textbooks will teach it, it was earlier. Buddhism goes back to the 5th or 6th century A.D. I mean, these are old religions. And so they have a certain antiquity about them. So we have a certain respect for them. We also have a certain respect for them because so many people adhere to them. And so we, we respect uh, our neighbors who disagree with us on religious things. And... So we have a certain respect for these religions because so many people seem to adhere to them and some of them seem to claim that they benefit from them. And since we love our neighbors ourselves, we, we're not in the business of trashing people and some of their most cherished thoughts. But on the other hand, Paul is saying that uniquely, the gospel is not by human invention. Every other ones of them are by human invention. As a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> you'll find something common among all those humanly invented religions. There's one message. I've boiled it down for you. and You don't, you don't have to take you know, a, a, an undergraduate degree or a graduate degree in comparative religion. I'll give it to you right here. All the other religions of the world tell you basically, be good and don't give up. There you have it. Be good and don't give up. One form or another of that message. The gospel alone tells you, gives you another message to set you free from the self-condemnation that comes from a religious message that says you're going to be okay if you just be good and don't give up. So human invention is man's best attempt to try to, to encourage you or exhort you to be good and don't give up. The gospel message is quite different. It says, hey, it's all over. There's not anything you can do. Uh, It 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 does have a message of bad news in it. You're you're a lot worse than you ever imagined. But it says that God is more gracious than you ever thought. And His grace grace covers all your sins and is much deeper than any of your horrible things you've ever done or thought. And it's free. And you can't earn it. That's good news. And Paul says this is not by human invention. And I look at some of the stuff that's out there today. You know, some of the... uh, Kind of new spirituality stuff. And I'm just amazed that people believe this stuff. I mean, the stuff that Oprah is recommending is just you know unbelievable. Uh, this guy Tolle Eckhart, Elkhart, or did I get or Tolle, or whatever his name is. Uh, I, I've read one of his books and it's just fantastical. It's like it's like Mickey Mouse in Disney World. I mean, the things these people believe, like there are psychic waves emitted from the planets and what you got to do is kind of get your life in tune with the psychic waves that are floating around the universe and and the things they make up. I mean, I ask myself, where did these people get this stuff? And now there's a whole movement. They're agreeing with each other so it, it kind of has a ring of authenticity because so many people that are giving, you know, making millions of dollars on seminars around the world, they're all saying roughly the same thing. This book, The Secret by Rhonda Byrne, I don't know if you've read it, but it's the same sort of stuff. You just feel like these people think that the twilight zone is real. Uh, and they have, they have now canonized the twilight zone. They're all in the twilight zone. And they're trying to get us to be in the twilight zone. And this is, the, this is true religion. I'm going, it is amazing what people will believe when they don't believe the truth. I'm just astonished. I mean, the gospel, you know, I, I used to feel sorry for, for uh, uh, lost people. Uh, because we have so many of these mysteries that we teach and and it's just impossible to believe this stuff that Christ, you know, a dead Jew on the cross paid for my sins that he was raised on the third day from the dead and I'm thinking this is just asking too much of these people and then they go believe this other weird stuff that's even more fantastical Uh, I mean, the human mind can invent some unbelievable stuff and the gospel, when you first hear it, is so good you think, where did this come from? Paul says, look Nobody invented this. I didn't invent it. That's the first thing. Now, it's so interesting, however, that uh, people want to claim that you invented it. And I, you know, there's something about the gospel that makes people angry. Now, I read an article here ten years ago. A woman says she's angry uh, because the gospel tells us that we are bad. Uh, and I'm so sorry if any of you had your feelings hurt uh, about the gospel that you're bad. I just suggest you talk to your wife and find out how bad you really are and you'll find out that the gospel hadn't hadn't overstated you at all. Uh, You need help. Uh, But some people get offended because the gospel tells us that we're sinners. I understand that. Some people get offended because the gospel claims to be unique. And I find a lot of anger about the gospel with respect to that, that it's claiming to be the unique message from God. And Paul's claiming that here. He says, this is... Alone is not by human invention. Now notice secondly, he says, I didn't receive it from any man. That is, it's not by human tradition. So Paul is saying, I didn't get this from a council of religious people. I didn't get it from the Sanhedrin. I didn't get it from Peter, James, and John. I didn't get it from the Talmud. I didn't get it from church traditions. I didn't get it from anything that was handed down. Now, let me say, things that are handed down are very useful. Paul is not trashing tradition. Tradition is very useful. And each of you come from a... If you're in a church, you come from a tradition. And you should learn to value the things that are handed down to you. I've had all kinds of things handed down to me that are very useful. And then in my family... My father and my mother, my grandparents handed down certain things to me. And that's the way I've learned is by tradition. The word tradition, trididio, just means to hand down. So we receive things. Paul says, I receive from the Lord. He, he says, I got my trididio, I got something handed down to me from the Lord. Paul also had some things handed down to him from Judaism. And he says, I am a Jew. And he learned a lot about the Lord in his Jewish traditions. Now, he had to learn that some things in his Jewish traditions were not helpful. And probably each one of you need to learn that some things that were handed down to you were not useful and probably not based on the truth. You have to do some sorting. That's what it means to be a Christian man. You do some sorting. You come of age. But that doesn't mean we trash everything that's handed down to us. Paul's not doing that here. He's simply saying this, look, what you've got to understand is the gospel didn't come to me by human handing down. There's nothing wrong with humans handing stuff down. I just didn't get the gospel that way. I didn't get my religion that way. Now, basically, I got parts of my religion that way. I was brought up in the church. I rejected it later, but I was brought up in the church so I had some things handed down to me. But there are some things, and I'll show you in a minute what they are, that were not handed down to me. I got them directly from the Lord. And if you're following Him, you got something directly from the Lord. It wasn't handed down to you by your mother. I'll show you where that is in just a moment in Paul's testimony. But Paul is saying this gospel deposit This idea of being justified before God by faith, I did not get it from my Jewish brethren. And I didn't get it from the other apostles. I got it straight from the Lord. He says, I didn't get it by human learning. This is C. He says, nor was I taught it. So he didn't go to university. He didn't go to Bible college to get it. So he's saying, I want you to understand You know, when you say that I went to Jerusalem and got my information there and then destroyed it, I didn't get my information from them in the first place. There's another secret to where I got it. I'm going to show you where it is. D, I got it by revelation. Now, revelation is a very important word. It's the word from which we get the word apocalyptic. And apocalyptic just means to take the lid off. And what Paul is saying, I got the gospel because God took the lid off of something that was a secret and let me look in. So it was revealed to me. It was made known to me. Now, this is the way fundamentally it must be with you and God. Revelation must be the core means by which you know the Lord. Now, you know some things by tradition. You know some things by reason. I mean, Paul teaches us this in Romans chapter 2, that you are given a conscience. Your conscience is not perfect, but it tells you something about the Lord, namely, that He exists. And Paul says you can look at creation and know that God exists and that He's powerful. Your conscience tells you the same thing. People all over the world who've never heard the gospel can look at nature with a conscience and have some beginning idea of the deity. So we do get certain things by virtue of the way that we're made in natural revelation, if you will. We also are taught some things. And we're taught how to live by parents. And we're taught religious ideas by those in our community, in our churches and synagogues and so on. So these things come to us, but fundamentally, the way in which we know the Lord is based upon revelation. Here's why. If you know your dog, that's because you like your dog, you love your dog. Your dog's right there. You just call your dog to you. You can, look, you can read books about a dog. You can get to know your dog. You can know your dog as much as you want to. You're in charge. If you want to know your wife, and I suggest some of you get to know her, you're going to have to read books about women you're going to have to explore some of the mysteries about women, about how their self-esteem is developed, about how they tie everything in life together holistically, about how they think relationally. All this, you know, their right brains are firing off, you know, more than your left brain. All this, they're from Venus, you're from Mars. All you got to read all that stuff, and then you got to talk to them, and you get this bilateral thing going. You're telling them about how you feel, or don't feel, and they're telling you, and you're, you're learning bilaterally. But now, if you want to get to know President Obama, you got yourself a problem, because he doesn't want to see you. <laughs> he's, he's too busy. He's got too many other people who want to see him, and if you try to go in the White House and climb the gate, the fence, you will be stopped. You can't go see President Obama. I'm sorry. Why? It's up to him as to whether you get to know him. And if you do get an entrance into the Oval Office, I doubt that he's going to tell you about his deepest, darkest sins that he's struggling with. I doubt he's going to share that with you. Or the last argument that he and Michelle had, I doubt he'll ask your opinion about that or get your advice on it. It's a little bit too intimate, isn't it? You'd expect him to just say, oh, it's nice to have you in the White House today and get your picture taken out the door. That's it. You know, you you can say, I shook his hand, but you can't say you really know Obama. Obama. Because Obama didn't have time for you. But if it's true with President Obama, how much so with the Lord? He is high and lifted up. What does he have to do with you? You're a sinful, rebellious citizen that is on borrowed time in his kingdom, eating his food, dirtying up his creation, breathing his air. What does he care about you? How would you ever know him? There's only one way you're going to know him. He wants to be known. And here is the good news of the Bible. God, for reasons we'll never understand, actually wants to be known by us. And that's the reason we know that we can know Him, because He wants to be known. In John 1.18, Jesus Christ completely exegetes the Father. Jesus Christ completely displays the Father. You know the Father by coming to know Jesus Christ. Why? The Father wants to be known by you. That's the reason that we know Him. And the essence of our knowledge of Him comes because He takes the lid off. He opens the door and He opens His heart and He welcomes you into His heart as well as being entered into your heart. It's by revelation, apocalyptic, by taking the lid off that any of us know Him. It's an act of His grace that we know Him. That's what the Apostle is saying. I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So here's the good news. He wants to be known. We can know him. And because of that, when Paul is telling us about the gospel, he is telling us something that came straight from God. That's the main point he is making. Now, notice when you get to verse 13 through the end of the chapter, he basically is proving it. We just say here our apostle can prove this. Now, how does he prove it? He proves it with his own autobiography. It's very interesting. He doesn't go into big philosophical arguments. He could do that. He was trained in philosophy. But rather, he goes to history. He goes to his own personal experience. It's so interesting. Someone thinking at his level, someone able to think at his level of of abstraction is now just going to tell us what happened in his case. Now, let's look at his story the way he tells it. First of all, In verses 13 and 14, he tells us he was not predisposed to the gospel. So he says, I want to prove to you this was by revelation, not by invention. I wasn't thinking anything close to this gospel. My religious predispositions were absolutely contrary to the gospel. My behavior was to destroy the gospelers. I hated the gospel. I didn't invent it. If you'd left it to me, I would have invented something else that would have completely obliterated the gospel. So that's the point he's making. So look what he says. You have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. So negatively he's saying, let's look at my natural attitude toward the gospel. I persecuted people who did that and I wanted to destroy the church. Now, if I think about my own experience, I, I don't know that I ever had thoughts that I wanted to destroy the church when I was a non-Christian. But I did have thoughts of how silly Christian people were. And I did talk, I at least talked behind their back. I, didn't, I don't remember uh, trying to do them in, but I, I, would have, I would have understood how the apostle felt. They just made me feel creepy. And I didn't want anything to do with them. So I didn't want them as my friends. I didn't want to have to ride in the car with them. I mean, I just didn't want anything to do with them. I understand what the apostle is saying. My natural instinct was the opposite of the gospel. So that's the negative side of it. And then the positive side is, he says, look, I already had some religious convictions. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So I had a religious background. I already had some commitments. And I was zealous for... For them so if you'll look you know you could look in the book of Acts and you can see you know, in Acts chapter 8 that Paul is dragging people off to prison in Romans I mean Acts 9 you'll find that Paul is on his way to Damascus where the church is just beginning he's found that there's some Jews that have been converted up there and he's going up there to arrest them uh, with orders from the Sanhedrin Paul was a bad actor and so was I uh, you know, it's interesting to be a preacher in a church where you have fraternity brothers. Uh, <laughs> hello, Doug. Uh, Doug Hickson and I were in the same fraternity together, and uh, I probably had some stuff on him, and he probably had some stuff on me. And if neither of us is convinced of how bad we were, we're convinced that each other was bad. So uh, we, can always, we can always help each other. And, you know, it's, it's a sad thing that some people think they go, you know, the purpose of going off to college uh, is just to raise hell, and it doesn't become a spiritual experience at all. And sometimes even Christian parents think that's what their kids are supposed to go off in college and do, you know, and just kind of live their own life and learn the hard way and go ahead and party a little bit and get out of your system. It's a, it's a terrible, awful way to think about those four years. It's just absolutely contrary to the gospel. It's sad, you know, and I was one of those sad people. That's what I thought college was for. And that's basically what I did in my college years. And it's, it's tragic from all kinds of angles. It was self-destructive. It was dishonoring to the Lord. I took the traditions, the Christian traditions I've been given, threw them right overboard. Uh, so it was sad. And then I get into my, my first job, Bethlehem Steel Corporation, and I think that that, that expense account that this there is for my good, you know, not just for the company's good. So you know, I can pad that expense account a little bit. Uh, And do that for several years Uh, just because I was was predisposed to do things my own way. I wasn't predisposed to the gospel and to the gospel ethic. Just do it my own way. I can tell you there's one reason I believe in the gospel. It's God's revelation to me. Uh, I did not invent this. I I gave it my best shot, and that's what I came up with. Uh, Going to drunken fraternity parties and raising hell and then being dishonest in my work. That's about as far as I got. So I know where I came from. Turtle on a fence post. If you see one on there, you know, that nobody, you know somebody put it there. Turtle didn't get there by himself. And like they say, if you see a dog playing checkers, don't criticize his game. Just be grateful he's playing at all. And that's, that's me. And that's what the apostle is saying. Look, you can't, how could you dream that a person like me would invent a gospel like this? Uh, I was living my life contrary to it. And some of us here in this room have very strong feelings about that ourselves. We know we didn't dream this up. Secondly, what the apostle says in verses 15 and 16 is that he personally experienced the gospel. So he's talking, first of all, about before he came to know the gospel, he says, look, there was no predisposition there. My predisposition was contrary to the gospel. And gentlemen, I want you to know if you don't know Christ today, your predisposition as you're born, brought into this world, is contrary to the gospel. You, you, you have to experience something spiritual, something beyond yourself. And I hope as you read the Bible, you'll just realize that, that I really need to open myself up to the grace and the goodness and the love of God because you're not going to solve this with your predispositions. And then Paul says, here's another reason that I know this gospel is revealed because of my own experience of it, my experience of conversion. And, and he puts this, in, I want to put this in four ways. But before we look at those, notice the first three words in verse 15. He says, But when God... He'd been talking about Himself. And when you talk about yourself, it's dark. I talk about myself apart from the Gospel. It's dark. But when God... That changes everything. And that's a great way to describe the difference. But. There's an adversative. But. There's a turn. But. But. When God, and now it's about God and who He is and what He has done. And when you give your life to Him, it really becomes all about Him and His grace toward you. And that's exactly what the Apostle is showing us here. Now, the first thing he says, who set me apart from birth. He's saying God consecrated him, set him apart from birth. And here you can think about you know, Romans 9 with Jacob and Esau. You know, Before they had done anything good or bad so that the doctrine of election might stand, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. From the very beginning, God put His hand on Jacob. You could think of Jeremiah in chapter 1 where Jeremiah shows how he was set apart by God to be his mouthpiece. Or Isaiah in Isaiah 49, the same to be true. Or John the Baptist. Remember that when John was in Elizabeth's womb and Mary came into the room with Jesus in her womb, John kind of did a backflip in the womb. You know, Elizabeth could feel it, that he, had, he was quickened and he was alive and he was excited because Jesus had come into his presence. So from the womb, John uh, was being called by the Lord to be a prophet. And here's the reality of the matter, gentlemen. Your life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is because God was at work actually before you were born. And all the things in His providence in your life were lined up for one reason and that is to reach you, that He might reveal Himself to you. All of your hardships, all of your sufferings, everything is lined up for one reason, to get you home safely. Why He did it that way or why He believes or knows He must do it that way, I do not know. But everything in your life is lined up for your calling. And you were called from birth before birth. And that's what the Apostle is saying. You know, I get little hints of this in in my own life as I think back. I remember my dad, who's now with the Lord, uh, my dad told me that he was a bachelor until, uh, let's see, he was a bachelor until he was 32. And dad said that uh, he, he, he lived with his parents. He came back from the war and he just stayed with his parents for, uh, for a while after the war while he was working. And he would come home, he, he said, late at night being with the guys. And often he'd come into the living room and there would be his dad by the fireplace on his knees praying. And I never knew my grandfather. But, uh, yeah, I thought, I've thought about that a number of times. I just know what it's like to be a grandfather and, and what it means to pray for your grandchildren and what it means to pray for them before they're born. And I can't help but imagine, you know, God was, was uh, calling me even before I was born through a grandfather and a grandmother who no doubt prayed for me before I was even conceived. And I'm telling you, things like that have been going on in your life. You have no idea of all the ways in which history has lined up for God to do His special work in your life. Or I think about just an article I saw, you saw in Sunday's Commercial Appeal. This young guy here from Cordova, uh, Fletch Cleaves, do you remember he, a little, he was a football player, 5'7", 130 pounds, goes to Lambeth University playing football there, but then he gets in a car and uh, someone swerves he swerves to miss him, goes down into an embankment, car flips over. He ends up being paralyzed. Uh, I think it's C5 and C6. Uh, and, you know, spinal cord injury, paralyzed from the chest down. And, yeah, I just thought about myself. Uh, when I was that age in an automobile accident and uh, had my neck broken and wasn't paralyzed or wasn't killed, I wasn't a Christian at the time. And you can't help but look back at things like that in your life and say, yeah, I came that close, and God spared me. And because He hadn't hadn't called me in space and time yet, I hadn't become His, and yet He had me as His. And you can think about the things in your life, if you just kind of scroll through the experiences that you've had, and you can see certain hints. You don't always know for sure because it's not in the Bible, but you can see how in His providence... He has led your life and brought you to the point that you would know Him. And there's no higher joy and no greater honor and no more eternal privilege than knowing Him and everything in your life has been ordered to that purpose. Isn't a remarkable thing. Paul says God consecrated him. He set him apart from birth. And then look secondly. He says that God called me by His grace. He set me apart. He consecrated me. And then He called me now uh, this word calling is the common word for calling and we've probably talked about this in recent years but one of the words in the scriptures that is used for Christian men, Christian women is that we're simply the called uh, you can find it in First Corinthians, you can find it in First Peter uh, we're called the called and it just simply means we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light, we're called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. We're called to suffer with Him. We're called to glory. Just, we're called to all these things in the New Testament. And the fact is that everyone who follows Him is personally called by Him. Now this involves an outward call of the gospel. We hear the call of Christ in our ear, but then there's an inward call of the Holy Spirit that is effectual and that actually accomplishes our obedience. So that in that call, we're actually given the gifts of repentance and faith. So we're called outwardly, we're called inwardly, but it's the powerful call of the Lord Jesus Christ to gather His disciples. And Paul says, I was an object of that calling. How? By His grace. And all you have to do is look at Acts chapter 9 and see how Paul was headed to... Damascus to destroy the church and he ends up being in the church by the time that trip is over. It's just amazing. He says it's by his grace. Well, of course it's by his grace. If any of us had thought about how we were going to advance the kingdom of God through the growth of the church in Damascus, one of the things that we would have said in our little church committee meeting was, we've got to do something about this man Saul. He is wiping our brothers and sisters out. He is evil. He's a Hitler. He's a Stalin. We've got to destroy him. And we would have had all kinds of ways, either using political means, or if we had no political power, we'd probably just go take his life and say, you know, there's some times when you just have to bear the sword. That would have been the way we would have tried to advance the kingdom in Damascus. That was not God's way. God's way was by grace. And God did something we would never have imagined. He converted Hitler. Now, I'm not saying he actually converted the Hitler, Adolf Hitler. But he converted that Hitler. He converted him. That's how he did it. That's how he protected the church. Amazing thing. He both protected the church and showed his infinite grace on one of the worst of sinners. Paul says, I wasn't just the least of the apostles. I was the worst of all the sinners on the face of the universe. I tried to kill people because they were Christians. That's the one that God converted. I just have a big question for you. You worse than that? Maybe you've killed somebody. Did you kill them because they were Christians? Well, even if you did, you have a partner. And God took him in and loved him and used him powerfully to advance his kingdom around the world. How about you? Is there anything that you've done that can't be turned around to be useful in God's service? Paul took his ugly, evil testimony and turned it around. And what he says in First Timothy 1 is that God did this basically to make him a trophy of God's grace so that God could brag about His grace and just say, hey, you want to know how gracious I am? Look at that. Look at that guy over there. Look at that guy over there. Look at that guy over there. And the more we're in touch with our predispositions toward evil, the more we realize how gracious He was toward us and the Lord takes our lives and uses them for His power. It's all by His grace. Now, thirdly, Paul says God converted him. He uses very interesting language here. He says, He set me apart from birth, called me by His grace, and was pleased to reveal His Son to me. Is that what he says? Nope. He was pleased to reveal His Son in me. In me. And that's interesting. That's interesting. When we think about God revealing himself to us, we think of God revealing himself to us on the outside. In other words, Christ appeared to him, the bright light from heaven. He heard the voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, Christ? So he saw something and he heard something. And that's what we normally think of revelation being. Or God reveals himself in the Bible, outside of myself. It's external to me. God reveals himself to me in the Bible. God revealed Himself to Paul personally, outside of Paul's heart. But here Paul is saying, no, He revealed Himself in me, not just to me. This is a very, very important concept. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that for us to know God, He must not only take the lid off of His own mysterious being, but He must convert our hearts so that we can believe the obvious. The Apostle Paul said that when he heard the voice, the others around him didn't hear the voice. They just heard a sound, probably like thunder or something. But Paul heard the voice. Paul had something done inside of him that enabled him to hear the obvious. Folks, more than 50% of American families have the Bible in them, in their homes. They have an average of three translations. There are 3,000 translations Versions in the English language. There are Bibles, Bibles, Bibles everywhere. How many people actually believe them? A minority. So you can have the Bible. You can have God revealing Himself in nature. You can have all kinds of information. But for us to embrace it, something's got to happen in here. And Paul says that's what the revelation was. It was what we call illumination. Normally we speak of revelation, what's outside, illumination, what's inside. God does both. He reveals Himself externally to ourselves and then He illuminates our hearts and minds. Let me give you an example of this if you'll turn back a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here Paul, I think, in his own words, gives us one of the clearest descriptions we could ask for on this matter when he talks about the light of the gospel, not just shining inside, uh, outside, but inside. Look at... Verse 4, he says, this is 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So, okay, there's your predisposition. The unbelieving mind doesn't see the blazing light. You don't get it. So they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said... Let light shine out of darkness. Look at this. Made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So there's a light that shines in your life. This is profoundly personal and experiential. And so many Presbyterians in particular put their religion in 33 chapters of the Westminster Confession of Faith or 35 chapters depending upon which denomination you're in. And this is our religious experience. It's believing these things over here. Paul says, hey, fine, that's a good start. But that stuff comes in your heart and you incarnate it and you're living it out because Christ has opened up the eyes of your mind to see certain things and they quicken you and enliven you and motivate you and it becomes life to you. That's what's going on here. Paul says, He called me by His grace and was pleased to reveal His Son in me. And then, for what purpose? Fourthly, God commissioned him. Here's the purpose, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, this is very challenging. But Paul says, from the moment I was converted, I was commissioned. And gentlemen, the problem with so many of us, we don't realize the same thing happened to us from the moment you are called and converted, you are also commissioned. Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. When he called his disciples to himself in Mark chapter 3, he called them to be with him. So they're called to fellowship with Jesus Christ into a relationship. And then he sent them out, and he sent them out two by two to carry out his ministry to care for the sick, to cast out demons, to be involved in spiritual ministry, and to proclaim the kingdom, to preach, to teach. So it's verbal and it's manual, both. He sent us out for the moment He called us. In every case, the problem is we're not often not listening. The Apostle Paul made no mistake about it. And in Acts 26, verses 15-17, through 17, you'll see that he tells King Agrippa, This is what happened to me, King Agrippa. I was converted on my way to persecute people and then the Lord clearly commissioned me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And you and I have been similarly commissioned to advance His kingdom in a number of ways. I just want to ask you, do you know your business this morning? Sometimes we rise up and, you know, it's just another day. You know, Charlie Brown one time said, I have a new philosophy of life. I'm going to dread one day at a time. And basically, that's the way a lot of you are living. And you have a royal commission on your life. And I don't care what you're doing. You're in the doctor's office. You're in the lawyer's office. You're in your business. You're teaching somewhere. Or you're a student. It doesn't matter what you're doing. In every case, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Some of you have had awful things happen to you. Some of you have been really hurt by this economy. Some of you are really afraid you're going to lose your job this week or next. Some of you have lost dear ones in your life. Some of you are sick and badly sick. And some of you are married to someone who's sick. Every day is the Lord's day. Every day is a day in which you're commissioned to be his person. You have that commission on your life. If you're wandering around and wondering why you're here, go back to your conversion. What was that all about? Well, of course it was about going to heaven. And we're, we're in the new heavens and the new earth, and we're so grateful for that. That's the dominant thing. That's what it's about. But why did He leave you here? Just to wait? Just to flop around? Just to dread every day? He left you here for a reason. The Apostle Paul never woke up on a morning and thought, what am I supposed to do today? What's the commission of my life today? Why am I here today? And I'm sure the apostle faced depressions like all the rest of us. I'm sure the apostle faced bewilderment like all the rest of us. In fact, he tells us that he did. I'm sure the apostle faced all kinds of financial struggles and personal struggles like every one of us. But he never woke up and said, I wonder why I'm here today. Because he knew the commission was upon him at his conversion. And he's saying to these people who are questioning his authenticity, let me tell you, this is not of me. I used to kill people, and now I lay my life down for people because I'm commissioned in the Lord's service. This is not by human invention. Okay, so Paul says, first of all, let me tell you about my predisposition, and then he says, let me tell you about my experience. And then he's going to say, let me tell you about what happened after that. This is C, verses 16b-24. through And here's what happened. He preached the gospel without human instruction. Now, he had human instruction from Ananias. But what Paul is saying is the essence of the gospel is fundamentally a revelation. And here's what I'm saying to you. I said to you a moment ago, I've received a lot of stuff by tradition and so have you. But here's the essence of it. I have it by revelation also. Because the Holy Spirit has spoken to me just as surely as He spoke to the Apostle Paul. If you're a follower of Christ, he's spoken to you just as surely as he spoke audibly to the Apostle Paul, and he has enlightened your heart just as surely as the light of the gospel shown in Paul's heart. And he has commissioned you personally, just as surely as he audibly commissioned the Apostle Paul. You've had an experience of the internal work of the Holy Spirit, and you've had an experience of hearing the Word of God that is the very breath of God. It's his voice. This is it. And you have the external and you have the internal and you're hearing God speak and you're not a schizophrenic. You're actually hearing His voice. That's the way the Christian experience is. Now what do you do with it? Well, then you go preach. You go share. You go live life according to what's been revealed to you. And of course you continue to be instructed. Of course you listen to other people. Paul did too, as we'll see. But fundamentally on the core of the gospel that was given to you by the Spirit revealing the Word of God to you in your heart. Now, see what the Apostle says. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. He said, I didn't go there to get the message. I already had the message. I didn't go there for three years. He says, first of all, he went into Arabia. I went immediately into Arabia. Now, we know from Acts chapter 9 that he immediately began preaching in the synagogues in Damascus. So the word immediately has to be understood in context. So Paul ministered in Damascus, but then he went out into Arabia, which was the land of the Decapolis. Uh, It was an old kingdom. Uh, Aretas was the king uh, in Damascus. He was sort of a vassal of the Roman Empire, but he was ruling that area. And Paul went out into Arabia. Now, what did he do? Well, uh, look at verse 17. I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. What did he do during that time? Well, we know that he, he told his story. What about you? You say, I don't know very much. Yeah, but you know that you're, that you're an object of God's affection. You know that he saved you. You tell anybody about it? Is it part of your message? It was immediately with, with, with the Apostle Paul. What else did he do? Well, we know that he spent three years there. And what did he do? He reflected on the gospel. Are you reflecting on the gospel? Are you taking time? Paul took three years before he went to Jerusalem to tell the other apostles what he believed. He had the gospel, but then he had to reflect on it. And you can see that reflection in this letter. This letter is a result of years of reflection on who Jesus is and how that compares to the Old Testament. And you'll see Old Testament references, many of them in Galatians. That's not the way Paul used to look at the Old Testament. He used to look at it as a rabbi would look at it. He used to look at it in terms of justifying himself before God by keeping his traditions and obeying the commandments. And that's the way he looked at the Old Testament. And he had to completely convert the way he looked at the Bible through Jesus Christ. You can look at Galatians and Romans, and you'll see those are a result of his reflections in the wilderness. What about you? What does it mean for Christ to be living in you and go to your workplace in your life today what does it mean for Christ to be in your church today through your life? Have you reflected on that? Gentlemen, it's, it's really much better to read the Bible five minutes a day, six days a week before Sunday than it is to read it 30 minutes on Saturday afternoon. Get the Bible in your life every day and then you can reflect on it through that throughout the day. Take a half a chapter every day and live with that half chapter for a day and reflect on it as you drive to work, as you drive home. Think about what you read in the morning. That's what you have to do and I have to do in order to be useful servants. That's what the Apostle Paul did. He took years to do that. Do you realize he did not start his first missionary journey until he had reflected for 17 years? Three years in Arabia, 14 years in Tarsus, as we'll see in a moment. You and I will grow in our usefulness as the Bible is continually being fed into our lives, usually in small portions every day and it accumulates, and our life changes. You're much better reading six times for five minutes because you have six days to apply, or one day to apply five minutes worth of reading instead of trying to take the whole week to apply 30 minutes of reading. You can't remember it all. And you'll only preserve in your life what you put into practice, reflect on, and put into practice during the day. So you're actually keeping the Word, hiding the Word in your heart as you read portions and then reflect and act. That's what Paul was doing. So let's learn his model here. Then he went into Arabia and secondly he went to Jerusalem after three years. And this is recorded for us in Acts chapter 9. I believe that's the visit he's talking about. That would be Acts 9 26 through 30. You can look at that. And there he he was there for 15 days. And Paul says I'd already been I had the revelation for three years and reflected on it. I spent 15 days with Peter. Now, do you think that's where I got all I'm telling you? Come on. And then he says number 3, he went to Tarsus and he was unknown in Jerusalem. He didn't have he wasn't a great networker. He didn't have a you know, he wasn't one of the boys. They didn't even know him. All they were doing was praising God for him. And he goes to Tarsus. Now, we'll end there. But next time we'll pick up with his coming from Tarsus going back to Jerusalem, a story that we'll find in Acts chapter 11. So Paul was staying in Tarsus for 14 years just simply ministering the gospel in obscurity. We don't have anything in the Bible about those 14 years in Tarsus. I can only imagine. That was his hometown. 14 years of development, 14 years of ministry, 14 years of studying his Bible, 14 years of prayer, 14 years of preparation. And you don't know the meaning of the time you're in now. Sometimes if we're without a job for four months, it just looks like the whole thing has caved in on us. What about 14 years before you go to work? That's what the apostle had. Take the time you have and realize it's sacred time. It's sacred. If you're out of work, you probably won't get this privilege again anytime soon. I know it's scary. Just take the time and realize it's sacred. And God is using it to get you ready for the next stage in your life. These are the kinds of lessons we can learn from how Paul took his 17 years between his conversion and his first missionary journey and made them very, very useful and then could say, as I look back on my life's journey, I come to this conclusion. I didn't make up this gospel. It was completely contrary to my my stupid human nature. And I have an experience of Christ in conversion and I know that after that, This gospel has been sustaining me all this time. What's your testimony? That's the testimony of someone who has truly met the Lord and knows what it means that the gospel has come from God. Let us pray. Father, bless your people. Enable us to hear your voice in the gospel, to know it comes from you and you alone. And let us, Lord, by your grace, take that gospel wherever we're going today and rejoice in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you.